Welcome to the Well Standing Podcast. This is episode 230. Today is May 27th, 2017. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, this is Memorial Day weekend. After doing the episode about why a doctor might mow his own lawn, I received a lot of requests from people saying, hey, John, you talk about always going out on these reflective walks that you take. Why don't you record some episodes while you're out doing that? Well, that's exactly what I'm doing today. It is an absolutely beautiful sunny day in the foothills along the Wasatch Front here outside of Salt Lake City. I'm out walking on a trail with just me and my dog. I don't see any people. I really like it that way. I really like taking these reflective walks. I don't know if it's something that I'll record other episodes on or not because, you know, it kind of does disrupt my routine. Uh, But we'll see. Today we'll do kind of a a stream of consciousness and... uh, We'll see how you like it and how it goes for me. Oh, one more thing about that episode about uh, cutting your own grass, mowing your own lawn. One of my kids did bring it to my attention that for the past 20 years, most of the grass cutting in our family was done by one of the teenagers. I, I did neglect to say that. And that is really an important concept that I left out of that episode because I think that a great way to teach your kids responsibility and a work ethic and things like that are starting them out when they're young with tasks they can do around the house and starting to take care of uh, you know mowing the lawn or other home chores like that are a great thing to teach your kids you know especially starting when they're little you can't try and teach them that when they're 19 you got to start when they're young and progressively allow them to move into different chores. You know, I know around our household, it was kind of like uh, they got promoted, right? First, they'd uh, gather up the trash. That was their job. And then as they got older, then they actually took the trash out, outside, you know, took the trash cans out on the street corner. And, you know, when they got to be around, I don't know, 12, 13 years old, then they started cutting the grass, mowing the lawn, things like that. Uh, you don't always have the best looking yard when your teenagers are taking care of it. But the point isn't to have a manicured lawn. The point is to raise your children so they turn out to be responsible, productive adults. In any case, yeah, that was a key concept I left out of that episode. What I want to cover today is all the interest and hype that's going around with Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, blockchain, things like that. We've talked about it a little bit over the years. You know, my preference on this podcast is to always talk about things that I'm interested in, things that I'm doing to build my wealth, and specifically investing in cryptocurrencies haven't been what I've done. And that kind of gets to today's topic, which is speculation versus investment. I haven't invested in any cryptocurrencies because for me at my level, based on what I know and what I see of the technology, I don't think it's investment grade yet. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't put money into it, but it would be much more of a speculative trade than an investable trade. And we'll cover a little bit about what I mean there, but you got to remember, in my case, I'm not trying to get rich quick overnight. I'm not trying to double my money tomorrow. I'm not 22 years old and have another 70 or 80 years left on this life. I'm in my 50s. I've built up a very comfortable net worth. My number one goal is to preserve that capital, to protect it from a catastrophic loss, and then to invest it in such a fashion that it can be working and producing a yield and an income and a capital gain because the more money that my investments can make, 
that's less time I have to spend physically working. And for me, it's really never about the money. It's not about accumulation of things. For me, it's about the freedom. So the more money I have in my net worth and the more that that's working for me and spinning off an income, that allows me the freedom to do the things that I want to do in my life. And so I'm definitely not opposed to people putting money into cryptocurrencies as long as they know that it's purely a speculation. And that really gets to the heart of the matter that I want to discuss today around the whole Bitcoin phenomena. And I am going to separate the technology of blockchain with cryptocurrencies because the blockchain technology is an entirely new uh, revolutionary concept. To me, it's sort of like the invention of the wheel. You know, whenever the first cavewoman or whoever thought up the wheel, whenever they came up with that, it's one of those kind of things where you look at it and say, well, hey, why didn't I think of that? But then the development didn't stop there. It wasn't like there was just, you know, one wheel carved out of wood or chipped out of a stone, and that's where the innovation stopped. It evolved and morphed into many of the things, probably all the mechanical things that we use today, and we don't even think of the concept of the wheel in many of the applications where it's used. I think that's where blockchain technology is going to go because it is a frictionless method of maintaining an open ledger. And that can be used as it has been in the case of cryptocurrencies, but there's also many, many other aspects in finance and in accounting and in public records and really in anything that deals with a contract or interaction between two two human beings, which is really what the whole economy is about. All those aspects could potentially be improved and positively affected with a blockchain technology, uh, basically by reducing the friction of those transactions. And, And when I say reducing the friction or frictionless, I'm basically talking about the cost of doing business, the cost of maintaining records, the cost of verification or validation. Those are all things that cost money, right? Every time you use your Visa card, The merchant is being charged, say, 3% by Visa to pull that transaction off, right? Think about that. 3% of every dollar you spend, whether using a credit card or not, is pretty much built into the price of products to cover credit card transactions. Blockchain technology is just one example that could make those transactions much less expensive, in some cases near free, and that's what I mean when I say frictionless. So imagine that first wheel that was invented by a cave person, all the friction, all the drag, all the inefficiencies of it, it was still revolutionary for its time. Now fast forward to the technologies that we use that are based around the wheel and think about how they are near frictionless in comparison to that first very primitive wheel that was created. That's where I think blockchain technology is going. So our discussion today is not necessarily about the blockchain but specifically about cryptocurrencies, and really I'm going to talk about Bitcoin because that's the granddaddy of them all for right now, and people seem to really be enamorated with it. That gets back into the speculation versus the investment. Now, the difference between the words speculation and investment, you know, it's really a difference in degrees and the meanings of the word. I mean, basically to invest is to speculate. Speculation coming from, you know, the root word of spectacles, right? To be able to see, to see into the future, to see other things, trends and things that most people aren't seeing. So speculation in and of itself is really no more than investing. But in our common parlance of today, speculation basically means taking on an extreme amount of risk 
where investment would be generally accepted as a process where you're either able to mitigate your risks or be able to define them to an acceptable level so that you're not only producing a return for your money, but that that return can also be risk adjusted. That's what we call alpha in investing. As an investor, I know my money is always going to be at risk, but what I'm trying to receive is a high enough alpha where I'm being rewarded and compensated for taking that level of risk. And when you have something that is as volatile as Bitcoin or something that's really as new of a technology as Bitcoin, you can't use historical, or I don't believe you can use historical means to track that risk as you can with a traditional investment. You know, Bitcoin is less than a decade old. The the concept was revolutionary when it was first thought up around 2008. And then when it was put into practice in 2009, it had very little value, basically no value. It was thought of as a novelty. And that in and of itself isn't bad. I mean, that's the way all revolutionary new technologies start out. But the problem with that is, as we've discussed in the past of you know, finding trends in computers or information science or even looking way back, you know, technologies like the railroad or the steam engine. Just because they're new, just because they're revolutionary, just because they're going to change the face of history doesn't mean that early on they're going to be good investments. Think of all the railroads that went out of business, all the computer companies that went out of business, all the software companies that failed, all the early internet companies that failed. Yet today we can look at things like Google and Facebook And we can think, hey, that's a slam dunk. Well, it wasn't back in the day. And so, while yes, I definitely see a scenario that in a decade, a Bitcoin could be worth a million dollars. I also see a scenario where in a decade, Bitcoin could be worth zero. The key point here is that none of us know. And while you can present great arguments on either side of that, the fact of the matter remains that I like to say I don't have a crystal ball. I can't predict the future. Well, the fact of the matter is neither does anyone else. And so it doesn't matter what kind of credentials someone has or whether they have a PhD or whether they're a billionaire. It doesn't matter how smart they are. It doesn't matter about how well they've performed in the past. They can still not see the future. And the future, when it comes specifically to cryptocurrencies, is really, really murky. And we can know that simply by just looking at the recent past. Again, prior to 2008, it didn't even exist. So going forward over the next decade, how can we be sure that Bitcoin is going to have the value that it has today? Now, again, I'm not saying that it won't. I think that there's definitely scenarios where you can say that one Bitcoin could be worth a million dollars or more. It all depends on how well it gets adapted for other uses. And we'll get to that in just a minute. Let me, let me digress here a second. Let me take a step back and kind of go back to the difference between a speculation and an investment. Now, I can go down to Vegas and I can put some money on a roulette wheel and I can know what my odds are of winning or losing. It's a simple mathematical process. So even though that's, uh, those risks are very well defined, it is still simply a speculation and not an investment. The risk-adjusted return on playing the roulette wheel in Vegas, how easy that might be to calculate, it is still not something that you would want to go down and, you know, quote, invest your retirement savings in. You can clearly see that that's a gamble, that's a speculation. That's not a long-term retirement investment strategy. Just like playing the lottery, it's not a good way to try and grow and protect 
your net worth. And so what separates a speculation and an investment is not only the ability to assess the risk, but also ultimately where profits are going to come from or where increasing assets are going to come from to justify that your investment today is going to be worth more tomorrow. Now, the argument for cryptocurrencies, the argument for something specifically like Bitcoin, is that the more people use it, the more it's adapted into not only cryptocurrency applications, but the more it becomes the backbone of a, of a, a globally accepted blockchain technology, the more that that becomes in use, the greater the value of the Bitcoin. And again, no argument for me. That's how Bitcoin goes from having no value in 2008 to having over a million dollars value in you know, 2020. But from an investment standpoint, you have to ask yourselves, what are the things that are in place that are going to ensure that success or that return on investment? Ultimately, any stock, any real estate, any value of any company or asset is derived from its ability to have some type of value. Now, let's imagine that Bitcoin is a company and not that it's a concept of an idea of a currency. For now, uh, let's just draw this little thought experiment. And I know it's like all analogies, it's not exactly perfect, but just think of it in these terms. If I were to come to you and tell you that I wanted you to invest in this company that had an amazing technology that was going to revolutionize the world, you would be interested in that. You would ask me some questions. You would tell me, you would ask me, well, hey, John, who's, who's the CEO? Who's the founder? Who's, who's leading the ship? And if I told you, well, in my company, it's decentralized. We don't have any of that old school capitalistic ownership. You see, in fact, we don't even know who the founder of our company is. It's kind of this anonymous guy. He might be Japanese. He shoot for all we know. He could be a hacker at uh, the NSA or CIA or something. But whoever it is, it doesn't matter. He's anonymous. He's brilliant. He came up with this amazing thing. The genie's out of the bottle. No one's going to be able to stop this technology from revolutionizing the world. That's why you should invest in it. And then you may also say, well, hey, John, I get that. I understand that. But this technology, what kind of barriers to entry does it have? Does it, is it protected by a patent? Is there some kind of secret formula that nobody else knows about? I mean, what moat is built around this company that you want me to invest in to ensure that 10 years down the road, it's going to be a real moneymaker? And I would tell you, well, there's no moat. There's no technology. There's no patents. In fact, the beauty of this technology is, is that it's totally open source. And this is what the whole new economy is going to be based on. Forget that old school patent protection, monopolistic capitalist society. This is new. And that's why this technology is going to revolutionize our whole lives. Now, if I were an investor versus speculator, I would look at that opportunity and I would say, look, I don't know who the CEO is. There's no moat. There's no protection of this technology. It's totally open source. Anybody can get into it. It's kind of like we talked about the invention of the wheel. Yes, it's an it's a amazing revolutionary technology. It is going to change the world, but no one owns the patents to it. The original caveman that developed the wheel, well, his idea could get ripped off and modified and improved by somebody else. And while that is going to be amazing for the history of humanity, it's not going to make any money for the guy that first came up with the concept of the wheel. So, in effect, what I'm saying is, is the Bitcoin really has no valuable asset base. Now, again, from a new economy perspective, from the way things are going to change in the future, that may not matter in 10 or 15 years. But again, that's why this is a speculation and not an investment. 
right now, the way things are going with cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, Ethereum, you know, whatever they are, I would not put more than $10,000 into any of them as an overall asset class um, just because I'm that conservative. Listen, I can afford to lose $10,000. I wouldn't miss it. So I can see throwing that away. But there's no way I'm going to put 5 or 10% or even 1% of my net worth into a cryptocurrency that's this speculative at this time. Now, again, that may change down the road, but I'm talking about today. So now I know some of you are saying, hey, but John, you're missing the point. This is a new economy, right? Bitcoin isn't a company. It isn't a normal asset class. It's a cryptocurrency. Yeah, I get all that. But look at all the other currencies throughout history that at one time were worth a lot, and today they're worth nothing. What's been used as money in the past? Wampum, seashells, the continental what greenback, the Confederate dollar, the Weimar Republic uh, Deutschmark of the 1920s. Right, all those things are gone. They're all worthless today. So, again, just because a currency has value today doesn't mean it will in 10 years. Again, I'm not making the argument that Bitcoin is going to go to zero. I'm just making the argument that none of us really have a clue what's going to happen. And that's why I would minimize my exposure to any of these cryptocurrencies at this point. Think of it as Las Vegas money. I have two big arguments as to why I think that Bitcoin, uh, specifically cryptocurrencies in general, could lose their value in the future, let's say over the next decade. Specifically in terms of Bitcoin, which is really the dominant granddaddy of all the cryptocurrencies right now. And then broadly speaking, you can use this about the value of any cryptocurrency. Here's my two biggest concerns. Concern number one is the advancement of technology. And technology is the key to cryptocurrency because that's what it's all based on. Now, while today the blockchain in its current form seems to be amazing, it seems to be frictionless, it seems to be that it can't be hacked, uh, it seems to be widely accepted by people all over the world that you know, cryptocurrencies have a value, that's all well and good. But what if in 10 years a whole different type of technology, whether it's based on blockchain or not, what if that comes available to us and it drastically reduces the need or the value to use Bitcoin. Now you can argue that maybe Bitcoin will keep doing forks in the road and it'll improve with future technology. But I could, again, also make that argument that how do we know that it's even going to be relevant? Ten years ago, the technology didn't exist. And so with something that is this fluid, I would be very concerned with putting all my eggs in one basket and focusing on Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency because we just don't know from a technological standpoint what's going to be feasible and what's going to be, say, more frictionless in the future. Let's just look at recent history and not even go to something as esoterical as as a cryptocurrency. Let's look at oil. Let's look at the price of oil in the last decade. In 2008, at about the same time the cryptocurrency was on the drawing board, oil was trading. It peaked at around $140, $145 a barrel. Today, even with OPEC doing everything they can to cut production, oil is below $50 a barrel. A little more than a year ago, back in February of 2016, we saw the price of oil drop down to about $28 a barrel. Now, this is not some esoterical, conceptual technology. We're talking about oil, which oil is undisputably, petroleum, undisputably the energy that drives our modern-day economy. In spite of that, 
the shift of only about a 2% imbalance between supply and demand has caused the price of oil over the last decade from over $140 a barrel to now consistently barely able to get above $50 a barrel. Now, what has that all been brought on by? Well, it's been brought on by a number of technologies. The technology of horizontal drilling, the technology of fracking, the technology of big geological data, the technology of robotic drill heads, uh, the technology of alternative energy, the technology of being able to design electrical engines that are extremely efficient, or even internal combustion engines that get three or four times the gas mileage that they got just, you know, a couple decades ago. That technological shift has had a revolutionary, an undisputed revolutionary impact on not only the price of oil, but it's one of the key components that's been driving the unique features that we see in our economy since the financial crisis of 2008. All that is the impact of changing technology on a finite fossil fuel source that is a very old technology. So if new technology can have that much of an impact on an old technology like petroleum use, are you really going to argue with me that technology of the future may drastically reduce the value of today's cryptocurrencies? I just throw that out there as a thought. Again, I can't predict the future. I just look at this stuff with a cynical eye. The next big headwind, the drag that I see on cryptocurrencies, something that adds friction to this otherwise frictionless technology, is government intervention and government regulation. Now, I know a lot of people would say, hey, the genie's out of the bottle. They tried to kill this a few years ago, back in, say, 2013. But it's out. It's out there. No one's going to stop it. You know the old phrase, there's no stopping an idea whose time has come. And I, I totally get that, totally agree with it. Just like the computer revolution, the information revolution, the internet, all these things, once they got out there, they couldn't be stopped. But the question is, do they exist today in their current form that they did 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago? No, they don't exist in the current form. And to one degree or another, they have morphed into forms that conform and are highly regulated by governments all around the world. 20 years ago, people would have said, hey, things like the internet, man, it is going to free up human society. It's going to create a peer-to-peer -peer economy. We're going to be able to get around government censorship and all these things. Well, how's that working out for you if you're trying to use Google in China? Or how's that working out for you if you're using Google in the United States and you think whatever you're sending, even if you encrypt it, is not going to be intercepted by the NSA or used against you in a criminal case uh, by the FBI. We know that all these systems have been compromised and co-opted by big governments all around the world. So based on that observation and the observation that throughout history, big institutions, big governments always co-opt technology to drive their own means, that's where I would argue that cryptocurrency is going to be no different. You can make the argument today that cryptocurrency in one form or another, that it could be used to circumvent the IRS, that by creating a free market, frictionless international currency, it could totally replace the U.S. dollar as a reserve currency. It could replace uh, the major purchase of commodities, the petrodollar, to creating an economy where there would be no need for central bankers, right, getting rid of the Federal Reserve, getting rid of the Bank of Japan, 
the European Central Bank. There's, there's no need for any of these things. You can draw the analogy where there would not necessarily be a need for any type of state currency. And so there'd be no value in having a Swiss franc or U.S. dollar or Chinese yuan. The frictionless nature of transactions that could be created and documented through Bitcoin and other blockchain and cryptocurrencies would make it totally antiquated and irrelevant to use organizations like the Bank of International Settlements. Now, I agree, and you can draw all those scenarios which are quite likely, and those exact reasons, though, are why I'm skeptical that governments and established institutions are going to roll over and not try and take over or to some way get blockchain technology and cryptocurrencies to conform to their use, not to the individual's use. They never go down without a fight. They always try to preserve their power and influence long after it's evident that they have no chance of winning. Just because the blockchain technology genie is out of the bottle, and just because for now it looks like the governments can't co-opt it or somehow to control it, does not mean that they will not try. That could be a big headwind for cryptocurrencies and I think specifically for Bitcoin because like they say in China, and oddly enough, like my grandfather used to say, who I don't think knew very much about old Chinese proverbs, but he would say, you kill the chicken to scare the monkeys. And so if the government wants to clamp down on a cryptocurrency, the granddaddy of them all, Bitcoin, is the one I would think they would go after and I'm not saying they're going to use fair and legal means to go after it. I would be really shocked that if in the not-too-distant future we see a huge assault on Bitcoin, and not that it'll necessarily be hacked, but some type of disruption, some type of false flag operation that tries to discredit cryptocurrency in general, and specifically Bitcoin. Now, I know they've already tried to go after it from the uh, criminal element, from Silk Road, and then the um, security risk at things like Mt. Gox. I get all that, but those were all minor league stuff. I think really back then, the powers that be, the establishment, had no clue what they were dealing with. But it is now evident how revolutionary blockchain technology is. And so the cynic in me looks at the situation and says it will be hard to believe that these power structures are just going to roll over and let the free market reign. Has that ever happened before? Now, I want to wrap this up, and we'll close on, on two final thoughts. Number one, I've been watching this for some time. I said in a recent post that my two favorite Dow Jones industrial stocks, which I felt were going to be favored by the robotics revolution, were going to be J.P. Morgan Chase and Goldman Sachs. And the robotics, the automation, the artificial intelligence that I think that those guys are going to adopt is going to be around the blockchain technology. We've already seen them come out with investments in Ethereum, um, you know, filing for patents and things like that. I think over the short run of the 30 companies on the Dow Jones Industrial Average, those two are going to be able to apply this technology far better than anybody else, and the frictionless nature of it will give them a huge profit advantage. So again, I'm not down on blockchain, I'm not down on Ethereum, I'm not down specifically on Bitcoin. I just want to reiterate, it is extremely speculative. And for my wealth, for my retirement money, anything other than Vegas money, I'm not going to put specifically into a cryptocurrency. I'm going to look for investable opportunities within the existing power structure. 
And then the final thought that I want to wrap all this up on is the biggest losing technology of them all, and that's the technology of precious metals. Right now, the market capitalization of Bitcoin has far exceeded the market capitalization of the largest ETF in the world that invests in physical gold. That's GLD. I think it's fascinating that the vast majority of the people that I talk to that are investing in cryptocurrencies, and I have to preface this by saying that obviously the vast majority of people I'm talking to are over 30. Okay, in the under 30 crowd, this wouldn't apply. But to the people that are more in their 40s, 50s, and older, those people that are enamorated specifically with Bitcoin and then with cryptocurrency overall, I would say the vast majority, if not more than 80% of them, are all also the people that 10 years ago would have been enamorated with precious metals, specifically gold and silver. And back then, their argument would have been about hard currencies and the intrinsic value that's stored up in precious metals and how you can, you know, point back throughout all mankind's history that everything always comes back to precious metals like silver and gold. Now, these are the same people now that have basically forsaken that and they've jumped head over heel totally into cryptocurrencies, something that has no intrinsic value, a currency that is backed up by absolutely no hard assets, something that is, like all currencies, only based on trust and faith in the system. Now, I'm not disagreeing with those arguments. In fact, those are the same arguments that I would have made 10 years ago. In fact, it's an argument that I still make. Gold and silver, beyond their industrial uses, have no real intrinsic value. The only reason that gold has a premium over any other metal, other, again, than its industrial use, is the perceived value of it. It's a trust system. And so that argument that I would have made a decade ago about gold, I make it now about cryptocurrencies. And so the funny part of that is that a lot of people that absolutely lost their shirts in 2011 when the price of silver and gold fell apart, those same people that lost a boatload of money investing in a precious metal bubble are many of the same people that I see that are putting everything they have into cryptocurrencies. Now that's antidotal, and I don't know if that's a tradable trend, but it certainly is a tell about human nature. I'll leave that as a thought for you to ponder over the long Memorial Day weekend. I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. In fact, I'm going to go play with my dog. Come here, Ross. Hey, what's over there? Is that a cat? You see that cat? Oh, let's go get a cat. Let's go get a cat. Let's go get a cat. Nice kitty kitty. Let's go get the cat. 